0: Gamers Anonymous, Episode 191, BGG's Hotness, October Take. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers in the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Anthony, it is that great season of fall. The leaves are falling. Board games are coming out. The conventions are coming to an end and yet starting up again. Essen is in the air. And of course, Pax Unplugged is coming up. And don't forget about Black Friday, where you can purchase a lot of great games. So I'm really feeling pumped for this season, especially that Cardboard will be hitting the table more often since, you know,
1: it's not so nice outside these days. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope, right? Um, And we talk about (laughs) Pax Unplugged a lot because we're not going to Germany, but a lot of people we know are going to Germany. So uh, let's just say that Essen is next week. And... I wish I was there. That's all. Yes. (laughs) We do have one new Patreon backer this week. Evan, thank you so much for joining the group. Hopped in the Slack group, said hi. Had a little conversation about Gloomhaven, which was awesome. So if you're out there and you haven't yet, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash BGA. And it's it's a pretty cool group. You can hop in the Slack and we're all chatting about the games we've been playing lately. Yeah, it's kind of like a super think tank for board gaming.
0: Anything you ever wanted to know about board gaming or how you should proceed or what you should pick up great great group and we really want everyone to join so don't forget patreon.com backslash bga join us there join our slack group and get some brand new episodes just for you all right anthony so that's part of what's going on with bga but we got something else going on with bga that we want everyone to know about and we want everyone to
1: participate in so what's coming up all right so i mentioned this last week i mentioned it the week before but i'm going to mention it again because I know how many people listen to this podcast and I know how many people have entered the contest. And come on, guys, come on. Uh Uh-oh, you're in trouble with Anthony. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we are running a contest right now. And what we're asking you guys to do is give us your list of your top 20 or 10 or 30 or whatever it is games. There is a link in the description of this podcast or pinned to the top of the Facebook page or at the top of the website, BorgAbronsAnonymous.com. Uh, click on any of those links and you'll be taken to a a form. All you have to do is paste in your favorite games. I'll take care of the rest. I'm putting it in the spreadsheet. I'll organize it. You don't have to number them or anything. Just throw them in there, whatever number of games you want to put in there, uh, up to 20, and we will get you into that contest. And the way it'll work is we're going to have our listener top 20, 30, whatever it is, and this is how we're going to figure out what it is. But at the same time, the person who wins this contest, which will be drawn at random, is going to be able to pick one of the games from that listener top list to be sent. So at this point, you know, there's no reason not to do it. There's you know, it takes five minutes and you get a pretty good chance of getting a free game out of it. Um, and who knows? We might, we might pick two winners out of there, uh, depending on how many people enter. So hop on over there. We're doing it till the end of October. So you're going to hear this announcement next week, too. And then hopefully, you know, we'll get a good number of people hop in there and let us know what their favorite games are. We've had a lot of good entries so far, and uh, we we definitely want as many of you out there as we can to enter uh, the contest this year but Anthony, what are the odds that someone listening to this podcast
0: actually likes board games and wants a free one? Come on, man. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) I think we're safe to say all of you (laughs) should do this. But seriously, yeah, just let us know what your favorite games are. And I think it'll be pretty fun. We want like a good representative list of, you know, we know what our favorite games are. And we would like to know what yours are. This is not a list we've been able to put together before. And uh, we're hoping to be able to have a an interesting list it's kind of a good cross-section of everybody out there uh, here before the end of the year
0: absolutely it's the right time of year voting is coming up not just in america but around the world all different countries are voting we want you to vote we want to hear your voice we want your games to be part of the greater bga collection so please let us know all right anthony so that's what's going on with bga what's going on with our
1: listeners man what is our question of the week Question of the week is one of our most engaged questions to date. Uh, we had over fifty responses, so thank you, everybody who hopped on Facebook or Twitter and answered the question: What game do you love, but find it very hard to get to the table regularly? I'm in marketing, so this was very much like a pain point question. It's like, is it, it triggered a lot of people of like, ah, this is the game I want to play, and no one will play it with me. Um, so we got a lot of good responses. I can only read a few, but You know, I think there were some commonalities across here. El Grande popped up a lot. So I'll read Evan's response. El Grande, because I typically play games two-player with my wife, and this game needs a minimum of three players, but even more is better. Love this game for its simplistic but strategic gameplay. A couple other people mentioned it, and they can't get at the table because it's old. So similar issue. (laughs) Uh, Cult of the New out there. Eclipse, that one popped up a lot. Casey said the table needs to be as large as the Galactic Orthont. Yeah, it takes up a ton of space. So that's a problem. We had Twilight Imperium 4 showed up, I think, three or four times, which, of course, because the thing is, you know, six to eight hours long. We have several people mentioned older games, games like Go or Chess or um, Risk, games that typically, you know, us as hobby gamers don't want to play as much. And it makes sense. I have the same issue with Scrabble. I can't get anybody to play that with me. So I understand that one. Three Kingdoms Reduke. This is a three-player only game and it takes up to three hours. So I think anytime you have a game that's only this many players, takes this long, that's an issue. Um, Martin mentioned Game of Thrones, the board game second edition. Takes weeks to plan and schedule this game because it takes over five hours to play. So similar to Twilight Imperium. Lots and lots of games that were too long, I think, was a common theme. For me, I picked two that were... uh, chronically hard for me to get to the table. Both of them are in my top 10. Um, The first is War of the Ring because it is long and two player only. So I tend not to have just like a one-on-one gaming time that is four or five hours long. So that's a tough one to get to the table. And then the second one is Spirium because I I don't know what it is about Spirium. Nobody wants to play it, but it's one of my favorite games. So (laughs) I think it's because it's a cheap little box with the pasted on theme and it just doesn't look like anything. But Uh, It is a tough one to get out.
0: Yeah, I I would have to say the campaign games always scare people away, making that initial commitment. So Arcadia Quest, despite having practically, not all, but practically all of the expansions, still can't get someone down to the table to kind of play through the full system again. And that really bums me out. I guess the other one would have to be any of the current or, I guess, recent past flight system games so your x-wing miniatures your star trek attack wing your D attack wing those games kind of scare people away a little bit and as you mentioned they typically are like two three player games you have to have table space and you know it's something that takes a little bit of preparation in advance and sometimes you don't really have the scheduling for that
1: yeah definitely yeah i think a lot of these games are scheduling or time or scope or player count there's a lot of reasons why certain games don't hit the table but you know i think we're all in the same boat if if uh the responses to this question are anything to go by yeah it's
0: strange you think once you grow up and you become adults and you have your own schedule and technology getting these games and getting these people together would be easy and it's quite the opposite it's a game in itself all right anthony so that's the trials and tribulations of our listeners and of us of course trying to get those great games to the table I'm sure there's other great games we want to get to the table coming up. So what's your acquisition disorder for this week?
1: All right. This is Spirit Island Jagged Earth. This is a Kickstarter for uh, the Spirit Island expansion that actually hits Kickstarter tomorrow when we're recording this, but probably a day or two ago when you listen to this. Mm -hmm. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch more content for Spirit Island. There's not a ton of information up yet. I don't think they have it posted on BGG yet. So I am pulling from... A preview that Jenny Stevens did on her blog. That's what Jenny said, uh, where she lists out all the new stuff that's coming in this expansion because she got a chance to preview it. It lists eight new spirits, which is insane. That's like almost doubling the number of spirits available um, with the extra stuff already there. Aspect cards that change all the innate powers of the basic core spirits from the original game. Thirty new events, fifty new powers, two new adversaries, which is fun. Some new scenarios, new fear cards, new boards. Uh, which actually makes it a six player game now. I'm not sure what I think about that. Wow. But that's an option apparently. Some new higher quality tokens, which is awesome because th- probably the one issue I have with the original game is the print quality and some of the stuff is not amazing. And there's even more stuff. So you have larger islands, archipelagos, uh, new types of tokens on the board. Just so much content jammed into this expansion And this was already a game with a lot of content. It's an $80 game with an existing expansion plus promos. So I haven't gotten through all of it. And it's one of those expansions where I know I'm going to back this, even though I don't know when I'll actually get around to playing all the new stuff, but it sounds really cool. So Spirit Island, my top game from 2017, my favorite uh, co-op game period and uh, more content coming. So absolutely had to make the list this week. Yeah, I thought talked about this last week that if you liked Root, you should try these other games.
0: I definitely want you to take a listen to that episode. That was episode 189. I put Spirit Island on the heavy list as far as Root because it's asymmetrical and it's heavy not because it's super complex. It is somewhat complex, but the length and the amount of commitment that comes into really trying to get everyone on the same page as far as what you're playing and how those different things come together. So this expansion might, and my fingers crossed, slim a couple things down, tighten a couple things up, maybe bring the game together, kind of like what um, Stolmeyer Games did with Viticulture, you know, when they came out with Tuscany, kind of brought everything together. So I'm hoping for that. What I think is probably going to happen is this game is going to turn into a lifestyle game. I think that if you are a big Spirit Island fan, and this is a game that you want to have as part of your normal rotation, I think it's going to be one of those games where you're a Spirit Island player. like Just like any other game, like 18XX, like all of those different Warhammer games, like all those different miniature games, Like you're going to have to be because... Those spirits are very complex. They're very asymmetrical and the different adversaries add a lot to the game. It's great, but I think it's going to be one of those things where it's just really going to transform the industry. And we're going to see more
1: and more games like that. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, it's it's the kind of game where I could sit down and play this every single night and get something different out of it. And then you throw more content at me. Uh, you sure. know, I don't I have too many games to do that, but I'm sure a lot of people would. <laughs> so, Yeah, big fan as well. Really looking forward to this. So check this out when this hits Kickstarter.
0: Another Kickstarter game that will be coming out, and you should probably see this, you'll probably see this by the time the podcast comes out, is Cloud Spire. This is from Chip Theory Game. They brought us Too Many Bones. Now, even if you haven't played Too Many Bones, you probably have seen the outstanding artwork and the beyond belief components of their games. The chips, the dice, everything in their games is just the top quality from pretty much anything in board gaming that we're seeing currently. Cloud Spire is a board game version of a medium weight MOBA. Now, what a MOBA is, if you haven't played it previously, it's a a multiplayer online battle arena. So this is Defense of the Agents, or also known as Dota or Dota 2, League of Legends, Heroes of the Realm, a lot of these different games out there that it's all about having your particular hero that's trying to knock down the forts and the final main castle of the enemy team. And you have your minions that are kind of fighting on your side, but are basically there to be kind of meat shields. In this game, you are controlling one of the different factions. And at least from the intro information here, they're showing four different factions. The Brawen, the Heirs, the Nora, and the Grove Tenders. Now, each of these different factions have their own special abilities, their own heroes, and basically what you're going to be doing is during each of the five phases, you are going to be doing a different set of phase. So the initial phase is going to set the tone for the match. It's going to tell you which units are going to be available, what special conditions are going to affect them. Then you're going to move to a market phase. Now, this market phase is going to allow you to purchase unique minions and heroes and equipment and different towers that are going to allow you to defend your different castles in the game. So basically, that tower defense mechanic mechanism. Then there's going to be a building phase where everyone will build up their fortresses and their defenses. And then you're going to arrange your fortresses out to attack. Then you're going to set everything into motion. Your minions are going to go out to deploy and, and take out the other team. And you're going to run out there with your hero and try to gain experience points upgrade and hopefully win the game so having this very very popular game mechanic in board game form would be fantastic now it's been tried by some other games like rum and bones particular it really hasn't done so well but i am really excited that chip theory games is going to knock this out of the park as i said production's been fantastic artwork has been innovative But generally, they have an attention to detail. They don't see in a lot of other games, so this is really fun. Going to be on Kickstarter. Jump on Kickstarter and check this out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this looks really cool. I I think it's funny that both the games we picked this week launch on Kickstarter the same day. So that's gonna be maybe we'll have to uh, (laughs) we'll have to come back to this in about a month and see which one came out on top in terms of money because I think they're going to be pretty close. (laughs) All right, we'll make a gentleman's wager here to see which one comes out. Yeah, I mean. The uh, Cloud Spire might have a jumpstart because that's going to be a $150 game probably, but, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, we'll see. All right, Anthony, so that's our
0: acquisition disorders. All right, so for our At the Table this week, we're going to talk about those games that you should run out and buy, those games that you should play when they hit the table, those games you should dodge and avoid at all costs, and those games are absolutely positively
1: worth a burn and you should avoid them at all costs so anthony what did you get to the table this week all right i got a chance to play between two castles of mad king ludwig this is a mashup of between two cities and the castles of mad king ludwig and this particular game is designed by ben rossett and matthew o'malley and we knew they were working on a castle version of between two cities and i guess at some point they thought hey let's throw the mad king ludwig uh, license on top of it so you have the the game being, I think, directly published by Stonemeyer, but also distributed by Bézier. I'm not really sure how that works, but both their names are on the box. And it is a pretty much almost direct mashup of the different ideas from both games. So if you haven't played between two cities, the idea is every round you draft different tiles that are going to go into your city, and you're going to have two out of the draft. But one goes in a city to your left, one goes in a city to your right, and you share those cities with other people. At the end of the game, you your score is the lowest score of the two that you're working on. This is the same. So everybody's building two castles, one with each of the people on their left and their right, and um, you're drafting all the tiles. But unlike between two cities, you only have two drafting rounds. Uh, you're gonna be drafting 16 total tiles, and there might be more tiles in your tableau for various special rule reasons, but it shortens the, the draft a little bit. There's no double tiles this time around. What's different, though, and where Mad King comes in, is that the tiles are much more diverse. In Between Two Cities, I think you had five different tile types. They were all more or less identical, slightly different artwork, but that you just scored based on, you know... If your commercial buildings are, you know, adjacent to your restaurants and if you have parks that are adjacent to each other, that kind of thing. So it was fairly simple. It ended up having to be in a certain shape, too, so you couldn't, you know, sprawl out. And that's one thing about Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It sprawls. You know, it's it's crazy. That's the whole point. You're building this crazy castle with all this crazy stuff in it. The rooms are like mad science lab and a game room and, you know, a bowling alley and the roof all sorts of crazy stuff. That's the point. And this game kind of tries to capture that. Unlike Mad King, though, all the tiles in this game are the exact same size. They're all little square tiles. There are 147 regular room tiles in the game. So you have 21 each of food, living, utility, outdoors, sleeping, corridors, and downstairs, which are the same as the room types in the castles of Mad King Ludwig. So a lot of similarities here in terms of how you know, the different iconography and the types of rooms that you're going to be working with. Mechanically, it's very much between two cities, but thematically, it pulls a lot from Mad King. The main other differences are the way everything scores, right? So unlike between two cities where you had five scoring mechanisms, here you have a whole bunch of different ways things can interact with each other. You have um, a symbol on each of your tiles corresponding to the room type. Then you also have one of four furnishing types, that's another symbol on there, and that might be something other things refer to. There are specialty room tiles, fountains, ground foyers, towers. You can put outdoor tiles in there. The All these different things have many different ways you can score. So one might say, get one point for every food thing that's directly above or below you. Get two points for every fountain within one space of you. That kind of stuff, right? And there's a lot of that. So you have to keep track of a lot of it. The draft becomes very important. The first time or two you play it, it almost feels random because there's so many different ways you can score. But as you play it, it starts to come together and you can kind of see what you should be doing. The trick here, too, is you can get bonuses. So if you get three of the same type of building, then you get to take a special bonus action. And the bonus action is different for every building type. So if you get it for the food buildings per se or food rooms i should say you get to draw 5 tiles and keep one if you get for utility rooms then you get to draw 3 of the bonus cards which again are similar to Mad King Ludwig you keep one and that's extra scoring at the end of the game and so there are different options of these for all 7 room types so lots of things to keep track of and then if you get 5 of any of those types you get to just take one of the specialty tiles from the main you know, segment in the middle of the board. So you go around and you do this. When you start out drafting, it's nine tiles in hand. You're going to pick two every time. And then you reverse order and do it all again in the reverse, you know, direction. And in the end, you're going to have somewhere between 17 and 20, 25 tiles in front of you in some crazy order. uh, And that's your castle. And then you score it on this ridiculous, crazy score sheet because you really have to write down the score for Every single tile, like <laughs> you can't, you can't really add it up in your head. Um, if you do, you're probably going to get it wrong. There's just every tile is a little bit different. Keeping track of it all is a little bit tougher. Uh, there's a lot going on, so kind of similar to Mad King in that way. You look at the two scores in front of you. You pick your lowest, and who you see who has the highest low score, and that's the winner of the game. Uh, similar to Between Two Cities, so it is similar to both games in a lot of ways. Unique in its own way, somehow. You know like you hear all that, and it sounds familiar, but it feels different. It's not the same feeling you get from playing between two cities, which is a very short, accessible game. Between two cities is almost a gateway game that you can bring out, and it plays up to seven, and you can get it done in fifteen or twenty minutes. Very easy to teach, and it's just done right. Uh, Mad King Ludwig, on the other hand, is a game that should take ninety minutes. Frequently takes two to three hours because of the. Uh, the the auction mechanism in there and while the tableau building is fun the other parts can bog it down a little bit um it's definitely not a gateway game this one sits in the middle i feel Um, our first play was a little over an hour uh subsequent plays were 30 to 45 minutes Um, once i feel like once everybody knows all the tiles roughly it could fly pretty quickly but you always have kind of the discussion element of the game right it's very social uh, between two cities, there's not a lot of discussion to be had. You're like, I have a restaurant. Boom, we're going to put it here or here. In this game, it's like, well, I mean, now that we've picked these two tiles, you want to put it here, you want to put it here, we want to build towards this, we have to get this bonus, we're going to do this. What tile did you put on that other city or that other castle? Oh, maybe we want that over here instead. That part of the game lasts a little bit longer. I think that's where all the extra time comes in. And I like it. I like that a lot. I mean, it makes it a much more engaging. Uh, it makes more there's just a lot more to do and discuss in this game than there wasn't, you know, either of those other two games, to be honest, I think it's a perfect fit somehow. I don't know. Like when I first heard of this, it felt like a, just kind of slapping the Mad King name on there, but I think it really changes the between two cities formula. It makes it more engaging. It makes it more interesting. It makes it more, more of a game, you know, whereas between two cities was a gateway that it's, I bring it with me pretty frequently, but I'm not like psyched to play it. It's just easy to teach and bring new players in on this game. I'm excited to play. So I think between two castles of Mad King Ludwig is definitely a game worth checking out. I think if you have either of the other two games, this game sits in a different space and it is worth picking up. If you want a a good tableau builder, a little bit of drafting in there and plays up to seven, which a seven-player game in under an hour, I can think of three. And so this is now a a new entry into that category. Um, well worth a buy if you're looking for that type of game.
0: Yeah, this is really surprising to see that it incorporates so many of the mechanics, as you mentioned, and it wasn't just kind of a reskin of the game, which honestly desperately needed a reskin. Still a very good
1: game, and it's surprising to see that for you, even if you own both of the other games, you would still purchase this outright. I think so, yeah. And like... I'll be honest, like, I don't like the castles of Mad King Ludwig. It's I'm not a fan of the game. It drags on too much. It's not very, I don't know. It's just not a whole lot of fun for me. But other people at the table who do like that and also like between two cities, you know, they indicated this totally sits outside of both of those. And I, it was interesting. It is between two cities, but more complicated. But I think there's room for that.
0: Yeah, I think my review of the palaces... Is- of Mad King Ludwig was kind of in the same space that the game earned its own slot, which was good. But in another way, the people who have already played the castles of Mad King Ludwig felt like they already had that experience. So it was a little hard to get them to the table. So maybe this kind of like parks itself right in the middle of the two. People who have already played between two cities might feel like, hey, I've already played that, some of the mechanics here. So I don't know. I'm not sure if this is going to have a lot of time on my table. Did people want to play this game again and again?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was. We played it twice the first night, and then you know they asked me to bring it back. It was a little bit tougher of a sell. I think the only reason it was easy to get to the table that first time is that one of the players had pre-ordered it. So they were excited too, and they're like, oh, two people are excited. And that's usually a good combination to get people to sit down. The thing I think that this game is going to be good for, though, is, again, that high player count. Most games that say they have a high player count, don't do it. It's not worth it. This game, the game is no longer if you play with three than if you play with seven because you're drafting and it's all simultaneous. So the game works well at those higher player counts and you get a media experience. So it's similar to like a Seven Wonders in that. You can play with a whole bunch of people. It doesn't drag longer. It's still only an hour. And then, you know, let's say you have six or seven and you're waiting for two people to show up. This game's not going to kill your night um, or you're not stuck playing a party game. <laughs> so sure. I think that's the reason I'll keep lugging it with me. And that's the reason I always have Between Two Cities in my bag. Uh, I think the most important thing is people, hopefully they don't look at the box and say, oh, another Mad King game. It's really more of a Between Two Cities game with a Mad King theme.
0: Okay, all right. Well, speaking about games that play a large player count, I was able to get Welcome to to the table. Welcome to your perfect home, pretty much. Now, Welcome to is kind of a roll and write game, but there's actually no rolling in the game. The game comes with a large pad in which technically you can play with up to a hundred people. Imagine that, because each sheet is going to be. The individual player board. Now, you probably play Quicks before or a lot of those other roll and write games, and there's not too much different here. It's a little more complex. So, as I said, instead of rolling dice, what you're going to be doing is flipping cards over. In the game itself, the cards have two sides, and on each of the sides, they're going to have a number, which is going to be an address number that you're going to add to. Your neighborhood. There's going to be three streets. You're going to be adding address numbers there. But once you put an address number down, you're stuck placing numbers in ascending values. So if you place down a 10, everything then lower than a 10 has to go to the left. Everything higher than a 10 goes to the right. So three streets you're going to be manipulating throughout the game to add these numbers. And along with the cards that flip over the numbers, they're also going to flip over special abilities. Now, this game has this 1950s suburbia theme where everything is kind of rosy and bright, kind of like after World War II where the expansion was happening out there into the suburbs area. And what you're basically going to do is try and score the most points in a number of different ways. So first off, placing the house numbers is going to set you up to score, I guess, a number of different options for victory point conditions so first off there are going to be these big bonus cards that are going to score based upon the estates that you create so as the game is going on and you're placing those numbers down you're going to have the opportunity to take the white fence or surveyor special ability and create estates so estates are basically numbers of houses that have been kind of like cordoned off by different fences so if you make let's say two estates of five, then maybe you're in a situation to score one of the victory point cards. If you do first, you're going to score the maximum points. If you do it second, then you'll score some points. And basically, you're going to have three opportunities to do so. Three cards come out in the game. There are some advanced cards, but basically, they're all the same. In addition to that, you're going to score points in a number of other ways. And the player sheet is going to have the different victory conditions on the bottom of the sheet. So scoring those final objective cards are going to score you points. There's also landscape cards that are going to come out in the game. So when you place a number down on a street, you'll have an opportunity to cross off one of those different spots. That's going to score you points. There's also pool cards in this game. Now, by picking the pool manufacturer's special ability, and all these special abilities are not required, they're optional. But if you place the number in a particular house that has a pool in the backyard, You can cross off one of the pull spots. Those are going to score you victory points in the game. Basically, there's a lot of ways to score victory points in the game. Not to mention the real estate agent. This is another special value card that's going to allow you to add a multiplier to the states that you create. So you can have estates for one all the way up to six. And if you're able to get a multiplier on there and create estates that match that, it's going to score you a lot of points throughout the game. Now, placing those numbers are challenging, and the game gives you some opportunities to kind of mitigate that challenge. So there's the temp agency that's going to allow you to adjust the number of the house at least down to two or up to two. So you can really manipulate the number and you can go much higher. So the cards go up to 15, but you could actually have a 17 in the game. In addition to that, there's the red mail mocks, or also known as the bis the BIS is going to allow you to place the same number back-to-back with another house. Now, when you place a fence, it can't split these because you might have 7A and 7B. It's got to stay in the same state, but it's not too much of a problem. If you do that too much, you're going to lose victory points in the game. And if you can't place a number at all, that's going to eventually add up to negative points in the game as well. So at the end of the game, once someone has filled up all of their numbers in their neighborhood, then you're going to count up your points do your multiplication minus those negative points and finally come to a victor. The theme in this game is kind of fun. The artwork is very light and whimsical. You know, it it plays, as I said, technically up to 100 people and basically having a game that can play any number of people at the table is a great time. Not having those dice is a give or take kind of situation. Some people miss those as far as like rolling the dice and getting that kind of adrenaline thrill. Other people like the kind of the AP challenge of like, well, how many numbers are in the deck and how many can I play and what's the opportunity for those things to come out? So there might be a little AP in the game, but there really shouldn't be. So Welcome to gets a play for me. It doesn't get a buy just because it wasn't asked back to the table as much as I would like it to, where other rolling rights, because they are faster and because they have a little bit of that press your luck mechanic there, it was brought back to the table more and more.
1: Yeah, this is a great game. This is by, I mean, I love Roland Wrights, uh, probably more than the average gamer, but um, this is at the top of my list right now. I think it's, it's the most enjoyable one I've played in the last year or two.
0: All right. So that's our games that are in our table this week. Now it's on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, Anthony is going to look into his magical, mystical hotness list and let you know why these games have magically appeared in, and now are pressing themselves onto your acquisition disorders. Anthony, enlighten us. Why have these games hit BGG's hotness list?
1: Okay, so I know the answer to most of these, and as has become customary in previous incarnations of this list, if you know the answer, and my answer is either incorrect or incomplete, please feel free to leave a comment on the website or Facebook. Legitimately do want to know. That's the reason we started this segment is I want to know why these are on the list. And sometimes it's not entirely clear, but most (laughs) of the time it is if you dig a little bit. So first on the list, or actually, let's start at the bottom because that's more interesting. Number 15 on the list, Blackout Hong Kong. So I know why this is on the list because we talked about it last week, right? That's it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we are the movers and shakers. We are the tastemakers, my friend. That's that's all it took. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a new Alexander Pfister game. It comes out next week at Essen. So, of course, it's on this list. Top of my list, I think, for Essen, along with a few other games up here. Uh, Number 14 is Endeavor Age of Sail. This is the new edition of Endeavor that just released, got to Kickstarter backers' hands in the last couple weeks. I actually got a chance to play the new edition just last week and uh, hopefully get a chance to play with some of the new stuff they've added in as well in the expansions. Um, But that's why that's one up here. Number 13 is Teotihuacan, City of Gods. This is a brand new game that is launching next week. Fantastic. Had a chance to play this back at Origins. Really, really excited to get my hands on this one. Simone Luciani, the guys behind Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really good. <laughs> Definitely worth checking out. Moving up the list here, we have Queen Bra. Queen Bra finally hit mass distribution. So I've seen it at my game store at a couple other local game stores. Other copies have been hitting the table. So that's why this is one jumping up the list right now. It is getting into more hands. Good game. Worth playing. Wildlands. Next one up. Wildlands is the first miniatures game from Martin Wallace. So... Uh, this game is releasing right around now. I don't know if it's hit any stores just yet, but uh, there are some copies floating around in the wild and should be some copies at Essen as well. And it's Martin Wallace and its miniatures and the artwork is fantastic. Uh, this one coming from Osprey Games. So I think that's all the reasons you need for this one to be jumping up there. Terraforming Mars has a, a couple of new things coming out. The app launches either this week or next week, uh, depending on which rumor tweet you read. And then the uh, newest expansion is releasing at Essen as well. That's the colonies expansion, um, which is for me, at least the expansion I've most looked forward to. So I'm excited to get that probably at PAX. I don't think we're going to get it before that Uh, spirit Island. This one is up here because of jagged earth, which I just talked about about 25 minutes ago. So,
0: wow, we are that good. We just talked about it and hit the list, man. Woo, hot right. baby hot
1: <laughs> it's not even on here as i'm looking i just know it's gonna be there um <laughs> uh root is up here as well root is of course a fantastic game so i don't think anything special is happening there other than the fact that it is sold out everywhere and everybody's excited to play it not to mention we just talked about it two episodes ago too oh that's right <laughs> how did i forget that <laughs> Woo! here we go um so hot. Here's one where I feel like our mental vibes got it on the list. Because this this is my most anticipated game of whenever it comes out. Because I don't know when it's coming out, but that's on Mars. This is the new Vital Lacerda game, ENO Tool artwork, Eagle Griffin Games. Gonna have a big old Kickstarter at some point. Um, I don't believe it's coming up just yet, but people are talking about it. Should be on Kickstarter pretty soon, and there are demos presumably being set up at Essen. So, this one's jumping off the list as well. Well earned. Um, next up is Gloomhaven. Why is Gloomhaven here? Uh, it's just, it's Gloomhaven, you guys. Um, <laughs> I think the expansion for this as well, I don't know if they're selling it at Essen. It's been like, depends on what you read, but it is definitely gonna be there to play uh, the expansion for this one. So, not that that's a reason it needs to be up on this list. It's Gloomhaven. Another game that we got on the list Cloudspire. Good job. Hot, baby, hot. So, Cloudspire, the new game from uh, the guys behind Too Many Bones. That one is on Kickstarter right now as you are listening to this. Underwater Cities, next one on there. This is the new game from Vladimir Suchi. So, this is a designer we both know and love, Chris in particular, behind Shipyard and Prodigal's Club and Last Will. Last year's Pulsar 2849. This year, Underwater Cities which looks like a kind of a through-the-ages-ish kind of card-driven civilization-type game, but underwater. Uh, Very, very interesting, and uh, one I'm keeping my eyes on because it's a big, heavy game. It's coming out next week at Essen, and uh, that's why it's up here. I believe they're doing some pre-orders as well, so that kind of helps bump it up the list a little bit. Next on the list is Crown of Imara. This is a new game from Pegasus Spiel. I think it's their... Biggest or not biggest, but heaviest game that they're releasing at Essen. Um, this is kind of their Euro of the show. It is uh, worker placement, pick up and deliver type game. You look at the map; it looks very, you know, traditional medieval style, um, middle to lightweight Euro. Uh, don't know a whole ton about it other than that, but it is releasing next week, so I guess we'll hear um, a little bit more about it as people get their hands on it. And uh, next up, number two, Black Skull Island. So, this is the one where if you know why it's here, let me know because I have no idea. <laughs> like, I spent a good few minutes looking and trying to figure this out. It has exactly one thread on the forums, just somebody asking for the rules. And I'm sure there's a very good reason that it's here, whether it's an ad that's up somewhere or a controversy on another forum. I don't know. But here you go. This game is releasing at Essen. It is a uh, party game about pirates. So, um, I. I look forward to somebody telling me why it's here and then finally the number one game on the bgg hotness as of the week before essen is dice settlers this is another game that just got out to backers from the kickstarter it is designed by david turchi who has done a whole bunch of great stuff that i love um he worked on anachrony he worked on Petricore, which i talked about recently has a few other bunch of other stuff coming out soon uh he has some fantastic designs as well as some very unique takes on the solo side of things. This is a dice-driven kind of exploration territory building type of game. So you'd be using your dice to build up your tableau and explore and settle this land that you're building out. So I had a chance to kind of do a quick preview of this back at Origins. Haven't got a chance to play it yet, but it is trickling out. And I'm excited to see how he kind of interprets the 4X um, category in a mid-weight. That's only supposed to take an hour. So (laughs) there's been a lot of these like one hour 4X games lately. Some of them work. Some of them don't. So I want to see how this one works. So there you have it. All 15 games at the top of the BGG hotness as of middle of October. Well, Anthony, it seems your cardboard Ouija board has done it once again, my friend. We've done it. We're going to get people asking us to talk about their games just to get on this list. That's what we do.
0: In real time, games are burning up from this podcast. It's not even out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a see at the tape.